Exodus 18. Israel, as a people, are going through a complete culture change. They're going from slavery to being God's people. And God is being faithful to him. He's demonstrating to Israel that he is trustworthy. God is providing food. He's providing water every day. And when they're attacked by the Amalekites, God is with them then. Now in chapter 18, though, Israel finds themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they will be at this site for about a year. And Israel is back to the location where Moses has spent 40 years in the wilderness. That's where he met Zipporah, his wife, and, and her family. And now we find Moses' family, or his in-laws, come visiting him. Moses had sent Zipporah, his wife, and sons back to her father after the circumcision of their sons. And there was contention, there was a little strife between Moses and Zipporah after the circumcision. She calls him a man of blood and this kind of thing. But now they're being reconciled. So let's pick up chapter 18 and we'll look at verses 1 through 12. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons, of whom the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro's Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that they had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. Jethro, he comes to visit Moses. 
Now you have to remember that Moses has lived half of his life with Jethro. He has spent 40 years on the backside of the desert with Jethro, marrying his daughter Zipporah, and they get to know each other quite well. Given 40 years, you can get to know someone quite well. And Moses and Jethro, they have a close family relationship, and they have this trust that is between them. One of life's treasures is a close, trustworthy friend. Friends do need something, however, to draw them together. They need a common interest or a common denominator. Many of you people are familiar and have a kinship with Calvary Chapel. Our little church draws us into fellowship because of our potlucks. No, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> but more importantly, I think we come together with an understanding we will be studying God's Word. And I think that gives us that bond, that togetherness. We're all subject to the pressures of our society. Our jobs put us under pressure. The community tries to, to uh, conform us into their image. Our government wants us to conform into what they think we should be as citizens. And it's good for us to come together as a people and converse and share thoughts and ideas with fellow like-minded Believers, that's good for us. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, I'm watching a golf tournament on TV right before I nod off to sleep. Golf will put you to sleep, and I golf, but anyway. And there was this interviewer, this reporter, who's interviewing a young pro named Tringali. That alone makes you wonder <laughs> about his nationality. And he's either an Aussie or a Brit or a South African. I can't separate their accents. But anyway, this TV reporter wants to know how he managed to play so well and keep his wits about him and score uh, the score he scored. And his reply told me that he was a Christian. And he said, out there on the course... I had a peace that passes all understanding. Only Christians talk like that, you know? So I knew this guy was a believer. And instantly, Tringali became one of my favorite golfers. <laughs> but he found, this Tringali guy found a way to share his testimony without being over the top, without, you know, drawing attention to himself in a very clever way. But I enjoy listening to conversations among you believers. I eavesdrop sometime without you knowing. I just kind of move around and listen. I appreciate your views on the news, on politics, on sports, anything, you know. It's just interesting for me to see how believers think and act about different subjects compared to those that are not believers. 
hopefully we are creating friendships, cultivating friendships that will last forever right here in this fellowship. Again, a close friend is a treasure in life. Sometimes I think our meet and greet time is the most vital, the most important thing that we do as a body of believers. But I remember back when a lady suggested to me that we perhaps have a meet and greet time. I wasn't too much in favor of it. I go, hey, this is church, huh? You know, we come together. Let's don't be doing it. But now, I, I cherish our meet and greet time. It's a, it's a blessing for us just to share with one another, get a cup of coffee, grab a, a pastry of some sort. And by the way, we got all kind of cake and so forth after the service, so don't go away. We got cake to give away. But uh, back to Exodus. In verse 7, Moses greets his father-in-law with respect and compassion. And Moses and Jethro, they exchange, how you doing? <laughs> and notice Jethro's reaction to Moses's, as he, to Moses as Moses relates to him how God has delivered them out of Egypt. Jethro rejoices, verse 9, for all the good that God has done for Israel. Verse 10, Jethro, in turn, blesses God. How do you bless God? How do you bless the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God? By recognizing his goodness. That blesses God when you recognize you were blessed by him. Jethro, he's happy for Moses. He's happy for Israel. And he says, God has delivered you. From the hand of the Egyptian, from being under the hand of the Egyptians. And in verse 11, Israel being delivered by God from Egypt is a testimony. Not only to Jethro, but to the entire world at that time. And Jethro has a, a conclusion. He says, now I know the Lord is greater than all the gods. And that's little g, all the gods that are not really gods, of Egypt. And he says, The Lord has showed himself greater than all the gods that Egypt has took pride in. And God himself has declared, I will gain honor over Pharaoh and Egypt. And God did. But Pharaoh is, uh, not Pharaoh, Jethro is blessed to know that the Lord his God is above all of the gods of Egypt. And we have this priest, this priest of Midian, recognizing the Lord God of Moses and Israel. Verse 12 tells us, Jethro takes a burnt offering, sacrifices to God, showing that Jethro has a relationship with the living God. Jethro probably was very instrumental in teaching Moses about God. But anyway, and, 
Aaron and Moses and the elders, they sit down and they have a meal with Jethro. And Jethro gets to partake of manna bread. So in a small way, Jethro is also blessed because of Israel. Eating together as believers is a good thing. And during a meal with a fellow believer, relationships are not only renewed in the case of Moses and Jethro, but they're, they're, uh, they're began. You know, we, we sit down, you want to get to know somebody, and you usually will have dinner with them. So eating is a very vital part of our culture. But let's look at verses 13 through 27. Verse 13, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses, father-in-law, saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, This thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you, and you are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. And I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and in the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that, the, that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go up to their places in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. So they judged the people at all times, and the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. What we have here is a government being established in Israel. The workings of a practical government for this mighty host of people that are out in the wilderness. But it's very top-heavy in Jethro, notices this. Moses alone is making all the decision for this group of people that 
as at least two million people, and Moses alone is in that position of authority. Jethro, he wants to know, why are you doing this, Moses? Why do you sit alone to judge matters of disagreement? Moses proclaims, hey, I sit and judge the people making known the laws and the statutes of God. And Jethro gives counsel to Moses. It's not a good thing what you are doing. This method of judging will frustrate the people and it's going to wear out everybody, including yourself. Verse 20. Teach the people, Moses. Show them God's way, how to conduct themselves, and the work that they must do. It's very important for us to be about teaching God's statutes. To teach his word. And we do that many times without even realizing. When we instruct our children how to behave themselves, we're teaching God's statutes and laws to them. We're teaching them to walk in a way that is good. We're teaching our children and others to live a life that's honorable before each other and before the world. And they're to work. Work. Out there in the wilderness, they're to be busy about taking care of one another, God's people, and they're to be busy, constructively busy, about God's kingdom. And Moses, he listens to Jethro, and he selects able men who, one, fear God, men who have an understanding of God's ways, men of truth, that means these, these men that are selected have a reputation of being truthful and honest, and men who hate covetousness. And he places these men as rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. These selected men... They're going to bear the burden of governing Israel with Moses. Moses has listened to Jethro. And he did, it says, all that he said. But let me zero in on the basic requirements to be a ruler over God's people. you got to fear God. You got to be a man of truth, and you got to hate covetousness. You got two things that you got to do fear God and be a man of truth, and you got one thing you got to hate. <laughs> so, fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And fear there doesn't mean a trembling fear, it means an awesome type respect. Being afraid of God can cause you to abstain from sin. And many religions of the world, even some Christian denominations, major in trying to make you afraid of God in order to control you and manipulate you. Now, I'm no, I might step on toes here, but 
it needs to be said. <laughs> if I, as a denomination or religious system, promote and teach that forgiveness of sin is arbitrary and that you must confess your sins to me and do, then do what I tell you to do, that is wrong. Perhaps you have a friend who has died, or and he's a relative or a friend, and this deceased person you're taught is in a place of limbo. And then they will put upon you the responsibility to pay and pray this person out of limbo or out of purgatory. That's an improper fear of God. And it is used against the people of a church or a denomination in order to gain control. That's within the Christian church. Look at it on a world big basis. Muslims hope they receive Allah's forgiveness. It's only a hope. But one of the surefire ways to receive forgiveness if you're a Muslim is to suffer a martyr's death. That's the only way you're absolutely sure that your sins have been forgiven is to kill yourself and to a lot of radical Muslims this becomes a true option because that desire for my sins to be forgiven is a tremendous motivator and they use that but a healthy fear of God is a healthy respecting of God it's wanting to please God with my behavior. That is truly what the fear of God is, wanting it to have an effect on my behavior. But being a man of truth is a character trait which follows us all of our lives. Have you ever had a person or a child perhaps asked to borrow money from you and you know full well that they mean give me the money <laughs> there's no borrow there <laughs> side note on that never lend money that you're not willing to give away that's just the way it is <laughs> as a church we have people who contact us wanting money for various reasons and when we were located down on the parkway in South Huntsville, we had a lot of walk-in traffic wanting help. And many times I would lend these people money out of my own pocket because I didn't want to be a bad steward of God's money. So I would say, well, if I lose it, I lose it. But I don't want to be losing God's money by giving it out to somebody and I don't know all the circumstances. And I th really thought I was kind of protecting God. You know, God needs my protection. That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Uh, 
But I would pray with that person that was asking for money and challenge them after the prayer by telling them, you can be the first person that's come in here that I have prayed with to repay me. You can be the first one that has repaid me. So I give you that opportunity. You know what? I have never had one person that I lent money to in that kind of situation repay me. Not one. Not one. That can jade you. <laughs> that can make you think, hmm. <laughs> but that's talking about true being truthful with money. And we should be always truthful in our business dealings. Be upfront. I hate surprises in business deals. Don't surprise me. Lay everything on the table. Let's know where we stand. But let's talk about covetousness. Covetousness is an inordinate desire for more, even if I must obtain it dishonestly. That's covetousness. Today, we can call covetousness by what it really is, greed. That's all it is. A covetous person is never satisfied or content with current possessions. I've got 2x behind that. 2x means repeat it. So I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> A covetous person is never satisfied or content with current possessions. Covetousness, it does not discriminate. Rich and poor alike suffer covetousness. A covetous person will always ask, what's in it for me? Unfortunately, many covetous people are in ministry. They're usually on TV. <laughs> I, uh, no desires for that whatsoever. No need, but anyway. Therefore, a covetous person will never be a cheerful giver, giver. They're never. A covetous person is a cheerful taker. So from the very beginning of Israel, when they come out of Egypt and they're separated to God as a people, there is a requirement by God if you want to be a leader in Israel, you've got to fear God, you've got to be a person of truth, and you must hate covetousness. A threefold requirement to lead God's people. Today we, we hear a lot, the talking heads on TV and the news guys, who talk about, does a person have to be a, a person of good character to be a good leader? God says you have to be. God says there's no question about that. You must. You could not even lead ten people in Israel without a personal character reference. Fear God. Be a man of truth. Hate covetousness. You couldn't even be over 10 people unless those were in place 
in your life. Now, we have a church board here at Calvary Chapel, and we rotate members trying to keep it fresh, trying to be up to date. But all of our board members, present and past, are men of character that I fully trust as men of God. They're men who fear God. They're men of truth. And they're not given over to covetousness. You know, God realizes long ago that we cannot serve him if our first concern is self. You can't serve God if you're hung up on yourself. It's that simple. Moses, he received good advice from from Jethro, a wise family member, advice that eased his burden of leadership. And Jethro, after counseling Moses, he departs, he goes back to his home, and Jethro was not looking for recognition. He was not looking for a position. He was just being a good friend and relative to Moses. Jethro was a treasure to Moses. One of the great lessons here is be a person of character. Let that be in place in your life. And the practical side of that is elections are not far off any time around us. And when you look for a political candidate, In our election process, find a person of character. And I don't care what party they're under or in. Find a political person of character and vote for that person. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Before we pray... We have cake in the kitchen, all kinds of cake. We had parties yesterday. We had parties out on the farm. We had parties in town. And we have all kind of cake in the kitchen. So come and partake of it. So let's pray, though. Father, we thank you that you were so clear when you laid out what you wanted out of men in leadership in Israel. And Lord, we want those qualities in our life. We want to be a person that fears you. We want to be a person of truth. And Lord, when we begin to covet, just convict us of it and let it be far away from us. Let us hate covetousness as you hate it, Lord. And let this quality be in our life. Let us be men and women of God, men and women of character, men and women that you can use for your purposes. So, Lord, by your Spirit, do this good work in our hearts and lives. Conform us into your image, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.